Hello, and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camuso Miller. I'm a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., and I interview members of the media about their background, about how they got into journalism, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter is a PR Daily podcast. Check out PR Daily for ideas, inspiration, and trends on all things public affairs and to find the Friday Reporter podcast. Well, thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. Today, I am joined by uh, a guest that was recommended not only by a colleague, but also uh, her spouse, uh, which is the most fun, making them the first power couple to do the Friday Reporter podcast, which I'm thrilled about. Oriana Pollock from Politico is with me today. Oriana, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So, Oriana, you have this great... Uh, this great beat that you cover that is really just, um, to me, just very exciting and interesting. And it's, it's aviation, but I want you to talk to me a little bit about before we get to sort of the beat you're on, and the stories you're covering today, tell me how it is you came to be uh, in this space. How did you get your start? You know, it kind of happened with by sheer luck. Um, You know, I always wanted to be a reporter in the D.C. realm, not necessarily thrown into politics, but I was very interested in military reporting thanks to a college capstone course I took many years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And the whole course just, uh, you know, surrounded the idea of if you were to embed with uh, a military unit overseas, this is the type of things you would have to know to be a reporter overseas Mm -hmm. uh, following the military. Uh, Of course, that was height of Afghanistan and Iraq. So, you know, that course really captivated me. And so I, you know, my goal was to seek out a job um, that was that was close to that. And I went the Washington, D.C. route, knowing, of course, that the Pentagon was there and thought, I'll take my chances uh, with a few internships Mm -hmm. um, and ended up getting a job first uh, at Air Force Times was where I started my career um, reporting on that military service. Um, So I had done that job for about five years when then I moved to doing a very similar job, still covering the Air Force over at military.com. And again, the the sheer luck was really just because Air Force Times had an opening um, for a very junior position of uh, deputy news editor, which I don't even think exists anymore. Um, But yeah, it was it was the luck that they had that position open. And I grew to know the Air Force really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And you know, traveling along with service secretaries and, and, um, you know, going to different bases all around the world, um, and went to Iraq myself, um, while I was at military.com. And then I decided, you know, I've been on that beat for about a decade and now I, it opened up, you know, I didn't want to get rid of my ab geek legs. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went the commercial route and, um, there was, you know, an, an opportunity at Politico to, to try to, you know, stretch my career that way. And I was like, oh, what, what, what would it hurt uh, to go for it? And um, I got the job doing um, covering commercial aviation for Politico. And it's been a blast so far. That's so great. And, and so is it because it's commercial? Does that also include some of the space exploration work that's also sort of coming out of that space? Or are you specifically in the commercial airline and um, aviation. Tell me a little bit about if I'm coming to you with story ideas, what kinds of things are you caring about right now? Yeah, so it's a little bit of both, not as much space, um, you know, as, as, you know, it's been a lot going on in the space realm, but it hasn't been uh, 
my coverage, we have another space reporter uh, who kind of gets into the civil space and NASA and things that I wouldn't necessarily cover. But mm -hmm. I do cover space when it comes to the FAA and regulatory issues. Um, you know, Richard Branson going to the brink of space and sure. did he violate and, you know, was that a violation when they came back down through orbit? Um, that sort of stuff and like how the FAA needs to uh, you know, adjust that because it's a whole new world, literally, on how we're putting different types of aircraft um, and spacecraft um, in, into the atmosphere and how the FAA needs to control that. So that's where my space realm would come in. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, yeah, it's mostly commercial. And of course, the politics and the regulations, which are huge for me uh, to track down and cover um, as a reporter um, in this new uh uh, in this new gig, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the politics of how Congress can get involved with trying to tamper you know, unruly passengers, for example, which has been spiking of late. Um, really? Going through, um, you know, another FAA issue of regulations on um, companies and manufacturers recertifying aircraft, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's a lot of it's a lot of that oversight work is where I would be reporting in that realm. So right. it's, it's a little bit of both on space and, and commercial aviation. But of course, if there's a political sector, uh, if there's, you know, regulation, like I said earlier, then mm -hmm. that's where I come in. Well, and the reason why I ask about space is because as of late, there's been all of these, you know, the Jeff Bezos of the world and the, and the Richard Branson's and this sort of entrepreneurial piece of, of aviation. Um, and that's what sort of sparked my curiosity there. But you cover an industry that, for lack of a better way to put it, like members of Congress fly in and out of Washington every single week. So they have I would imagine a very strong opinion about aviation in general, probably have a lot of perspective because they are continually, many, many of them flying in and out all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, it's aviation really touches more than people really realize. Mm -hmm. It's um, not only just the point of travel, but it's the point of which we bring goods into this country and how, sure. you know, things flow out as well. So aviation touches everybody's life, whether they know it or not. So it, it really is something that you have to keep an eye on, um, especially with all these different moving parts going on in the world right now. You know, right. um, we even saw that with the Afghanistan withdrawal. I mean, that was a complete airlift mission. No, uh, no, one, no one's thinking about all of these types of things on where aviation really comes into your life. But it, it has a huge and it has a substantial um you know, it's a substantial factor for everyone. No question. I mean, it is a pillar of the uh, this economic success of the U.S., no doubt, in terms of goods and services, in terms of travel, but also in terms of jobs and security. And, and really, it, had, it took a really big hit, uh, especially over the last nearly two years now because of the pandemic, sort of the reluctance to travel or sort of the resistance to following uh, the rules. There's been so much that has put up has been put on the aviation space in terms of just extra burdens um, that have really made it that much more difficult, I imagine. Mm -hmm. I mean, it. you've seen things that normally wouldn't be dealt with um, on, an, on a daily basis. I mean, I brought up unruly passengers just a little bit ago, but mm -hmm. it's, it's something about coming back from pandemic has made people on edge and has made people really use the aviation space as a place to vent out their frustrations. Um, you're seeing, you know, 
thousands of people being investigated um, by the FAA and otherwise, um, uh, like there have been thousands of incidents, I should say, and hundreds investigated. Um, and it's just, you know, it's this crazy idea of where we've seen these unprecedented elements come through in this post-pandemic world. Sure. Um, and that that's past the goods and services element, too, of, of how people really want things in demand right now. And that's coming to this country by supply routes and it's coming on cargo jets and all these types of things. But, you know, it's how does aviation, you know, have this new generation for itself after this post-pandemic world? And I think that they're just trying to figure that out right now. And the, and the last time I could remember it having that big of an impact would be like post 9-11, which is 20 years ago now. So it really has been forced over the course of the last two decades to really sort of take these tremendous um, impacts and figure out how to stay viable and stay relevant. And, you know, we're not just talking about commercial. We're talking about the FedExes of the world and the UPSs of the world and everyone else that's sort of doing what they're doing. So. I imagine it is not a slow time to be covering that space at all. Uh, but Oriana, I hope you would talk to me a little bit about, because when I think about a young woman like yourself um, coming into this space as a journalist in um, you know, covering the Air Force and covering the military, I have to believe you were one of only a few women that were really in that space. Talk to me a little bit about what that's like. You know, it seemed that way um, when I was when I was reporting on the military aspect. But then the Pentagon press corps, for example, is made up with I think the majority is now women. Um, is and that of right? course, there were trailblazers trailblazers well before me mm -hmm. um, in the national security realm. Um, but it was really strange to try to you know go to these types of briefings with generals, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's me raising my hand in a room full of men and asking a question to maybe sometimes getting a response of a snicker or, mm. you know, talking at me instead of to me, That's hard. Uh, which, you know, I, I, I think I've over the years, I kind of knew how to sift through that and sure. knew how to get in that, you know, good old boy space mm -hmm. um, and to try to say, Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm just as relevant. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going, <laughs> going to report that story uh, <laughs> right? no matter you know, what my gender is. Yeah. Um, so you better take me seriously. And right. I think my, my work spoke for itself. And, you know, I don't know if the commercial aviation, I, I believe that it's also from what I've seen so far, the commercial aviation uh, beat is, is a, is a mixed bag of, of a ton of reporters. It's just such yeah. a wider reach, a wider net. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's both men and women, but yeah, going back to that post uh, to the, uh, my, career pre-commercial aviation it was it I'm, I'm happy to see that more women have entered uh you know covering the military and and really honing that skill because I mean I I wouldn't want to pat ourselves on the back but I think we do a, a great job in getting some of those details oh, no that doubt. um you know maybe overlook that really um that really matter I mean I know that there was an investigation piece that I did at military.com uh, right before I went over to Politico about an ejection seat mishap that was just, you know, it was a catastrophic event that happened. And, you know, it's one of those things where I would comb through documents or, you know, comb through as much information as I could from the event that happened that day because I didn't want to let it go. And, and that was for the reason of just giving you know, the widow and talking to the family members and, and, you know, people who knew this young pilot who died, um, you know, 
So it would give yeah, you an op- just, give you an opportunity to de- dig deeper into those uh, documents to get a sense um, for for the family and for others about what had happened. Right, and just really, you know, give credence to something that maybe was overshadowed because other things were going on in the military services, and maybe they didn't. Maybe he was just a, a you know, a statistic instead of something that was a wake up call. Um, So, you know, I really wanted to go through some of that and, you know, and put that out there. And, you know, I think if I'm correct in saying there was an amendment then put into the NDAA, um, the National Defense Authorization Mm -hmm. Act um, this past year, just to try to rectify that issue, which, you know, hopefully that's just a little, it's it's a little something, but it was something where, um, you know, if reporters don't spotlight certain things, what is ever really going to get done? Um, no so yeah. I would hope that in in my course of, you know, covering the Air Force and some of those stories that I'm proud of, I also, you know, there was a little there was a little give and take there for for some of the families, um, you know, who are still seeking justice. Sure. Was there ever a story that came to you that um, that you wish you had written or a story that you wrote that you're especially proud of? Is there anything that sort of stands out as either something you didn't get a chance to cover more in depth or maybe one that you're, you did and you really love doing? Is there something that sort of stands out in your mind? Yeah, I think um, the ejection piece seat that I mentioned mm-hmm. is one that I was really proud of. Another one that I had done uh, previously when I had covered the uh, Air Force was um, it was looking at uh, an adverse uh, policy that affected um, gay men in, in the Air Force um, mm-hmm. who were trying to uh, take this prophylaxin pill to stop uh, or to thwart getting HIV. And it was banned for pilots. Um, and it wasn't hmm. banned in any of the other services, but it was banned for pilots. And, you know, I had people who were coming to me saying, um, we we really can't do our jobs, but we also can't live our lives. Yeah. Um, so that was a story that I did that I really uh, enjoyed because it ended up where the Air Force reviewed it and then decided to say, hey, we're going to issue more of a uh, an expanded waiver authority, hmm. um, which previously you would still need a waiver, but it was very cumbersome. It was very difficult to get. And and yeah. then they said that the waiver authority. Um, Why did they say that pilots would be different? Why did they single out pilots and say that pilots were unable to, to take this particular um, preventative measure? They, they thought that the medication would maybe, uh, it would it would be a medical reason. Mm. Aviators were operating at certain altitudes. Would it make them dizzy? Would it make them fatigued? Uh, and they didn't want something happening. Um, you know, of course, when you're ten thousand feet in the air, you don't want something happening oh, like that. For sure not. Um, but there were other aviators, you know, helicopter crews in the army, um, et cetera, um, who were allowed to take it because studies had shown that it actually doesn't. Uh, make you as tired, fatigued, or dizzy, or have adverse effects as um, as other medications that people take on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the reasons where some pilots came forward, some other air crew came forward saying that, you know, I'm going to cut my career short here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to, I'm not going to stay in this service because I want to also be a human being. Yeah, um, right. And I also want to protect myself. Um, so that was, that was a story that I really uh, enjoyed doing. And when I think of when I think back on things that I have missed, um, I like to think actually that as I go forward, there are stories in my new beat on commercial aviation that maybe, you know, I'll crack open one of these days that 
people might not be focusing all their attention to um, uh, just yet. I think mm-hmm. I still have that chance yeah. to say, you know, this is something that's going on in this, the, this new world that I'm covering. Um, so I don't, I don't think I'd have any necessary regrets of wish what I wish I'd covered more. Mm-hmm. I actually think that I have such a, I have a new yellow brick road that I can take yeah, and good. I can definitely have a lot of, I hope I have a lot of leeway to pursue a lot of different topics that really also get at different um, goals in my new role. Yeah. And, you know, I ask that because I know that sometimes there are stories that come to you that you can really fall in love with. And then your editors decide that really that's not the right uh, Mm -hmm. course of action or maybe not the direction that the publication is going in at the time. So I don't necessarily ask, is there something you maybe didn't get to write about because of you, but perhaps because of something else that sort of got in your way. Um, But that's really interesting to think about because aviation is, I mean, it's expanding, it's changing. I mean, the industry is having to be smarter and, and more thoughtful. Um, And it's also, uh, you know, it's evolving so much so fast. If you are, um, if you're getting ready to take a flight, if you're getting ready to fly, do you have any specific things that you like, do you look for a particular kind of aircraft? Do you look for a particular kind of flight? I mean, I feel like people like you who have a better sort of sense of these things um, might have, uh, you know, sort of specifics or things that you like to to do when you are flying and excuse me, when you're flying or you're traveling. Uh, I actually, you would think I would, but I really don't. Really? Um, you know, the one thing I remember to do is I, you know, I have a special kind of necklace that I wear, but I do that for any kind of travel. That mm-hmm. would be, Mm-hmm. train car uh aircraft what whatnot um but you know i remember to bring some compression socks i mean, okay. I mean that's really for me i <laughs> asked really for me as far as it goes yeah no and i asked because you know in my in my career i've worked for several different um i've worked for members of congress i worked for a cabinet secretary i've worked for a couple of governors and each and every one of them had like a particular something and their travel people always had to sort of have that in mind. Like one of the members that I worked for really only preferred to ever fly on a jet, didn't want to be on a prop plane. And another that would only fly in like a larger helicopter, like a Sikorsky helicopter and not sort of a smaller um, aircraft when there was any kind of wind. So I ask you those questions because you as someone who is sort of steeped in the issues of the day, I wondered if there was any sort of anything that stands out to you as you're traveling or moving around the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes I will say when you're, you know, up in the air and you feel some turbulence, sometimes I think I'm like, oh, well, I'm on a newer aircraft. So I know that, you know, this this aircraft has, you know, winglets or it has this new aerodynamic aspect to it that, you know, this is going to, the plane's going to come out of being in a bumpy ride in about 10 seconds. Uh Whereas where I'm sometimes flying on an older plane, I'm going, oh, this is going to be the whole way there. (laughs) So, you know, I kind of, I talk myself through that as as a trip is going on. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, I know people have their own like little juju that they do um, before they get on or when they get off even. I'm not one of those people though that claps when the plane lands. I just, I I don't do that. And I I think that's weird. That's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not for me. And, and I, I'm also not one of those people who rushes to stand up. Like, where are you going? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the door's not even open yet. Just relax unless you have to go to the bathroom or something. But, you know, people (laughs) are so quick to get up right away as if like, I'm going to spring out of here. You got to wait for the gate to, you know, settle in on the, on the side of the plane. You can't. (laughs) 
So true. So true. Um, and I, uh, yeah, the, the industry space to me, friends that travel more often for work or trends, friends that have sort of specific um, travel requirements. I'm always curious about them because I don't travel quite as often. In fact, I've been on probably two airplanes since COVID hit. So, uh, and, you know, one to go out and one to come back. So not a lot, not a lot of that kind of travel. Tell me a little bit about Oriana, the um, at Politico, because there are so many platforms and so many different things that are going on there in your space. Are you, how often are you um, are you are you one story a day? Do you participate in one of the newsletters that you guys ha- have there? Can you talk to me a little bit about some of the products that you're you have a, a you know touch on um, as you're reporting during the day? Yeah, so we um, we have our daily newsletter. Um, it's weekly for. Uh, the public, but mm-hmm. it's daily for subscribers. And uh, my colleague and I, we pretty much anchor that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm doing newsletters a couple of days a week. Wow. Uh, and, and my colleague will switch off with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm definitely doing newsletters. And then we also have, of course, you know, just briefs the who, what, when, where, why for for subscribers for Politico Pro of, um, you know, for me, it would be more aviation oriented, but right. I'm writing on a daily basis there on that on that platform, just so people know here's here's what's the news of the day or this is something you should care about especially if you know a lawmaker is going to hold a hearing on x issue that deals with aviation or you know just it's it's to give people a heads up on why we you know what's the what's the guts here of what you should know about in transportation today right and uh so we we populate that part of the website Mm -hmm. and you know then of course there are the times of putting together a more enterprise piece um, for uh, potentially going for the main website, Mm -hmm. Um, something I'm working on this week, actually, Um, you know, airlines and and things like that, how they're faring uh, post and post pandemic travel and things like that. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we, we do it all. Um, I know you do. And that's why, that's why I ask because you guys have a lot of content that you churn out every single day, those newsletters. I don't know about your schedule, but I know many of your colleagues. Um, the newsletter really does sort of, it, it can be a very early morning and lead you to a very late night. So it's a lot of work and a lot of good good content that you guys are pumping out there for folks to consume. Yeah, and I, you know, got to give kudos to my colleagues and some of the interns on our staff who are really, you know, helping populate that as well, especially with the expertise areas that they have, you know, I, you know, my colleague is always diving into surface transportation stuff, trucking, highways, um, electric vehicles, and what's new there, Mm -hmm. whereas I'm you know, doing a little bit more, like I mentioned earlier, the space stuff and the uh, commercial aerospace stuff um, and industry and, and companies there. So um, yeah, it comes together on it. You know, it comes together at the end of the day. And I appreciate their, their work for that as well. No question. Well, you guys are some of the hardest working journalists in town. And and so you have to know that the people on the PR side really do appreciate that work. It's also tremendously helpful uh, to know, you know, sort of how it is you're coming together, you know, what kinds of products you're working on so that if I'm going to give you a call and we're going to talk about a specific issue, if I have something that's small, perhaps it's something that's useful for your newsletter. But if I have a bigger piece, then I've got to make sure I come to you with a lot of detail because that's what you're going to be looking for, for a broader story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm one of those people that if you give me the bottom line up front and then I can see what I could work with and then I'll try to talk with you and, and my editors, of course, to see if they're interested. Um, yeah, but the more, the better. If, if you just, you know, send me an email saying so-and-so expert is available 
or so-and-so member of my team is available. Of course, that's, you know, in the PR industry, people do that because news of the day, hey, this is what's trending. And I know my person can talk to this, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not always covering news of the day. I'm sometimes doing just things that, you know, subscribers want to read about. And, you know, it really needs to fit um, what we're doing and what what the point of, you know, we have things things called briefs, which is like I said earlier, the who, what, when, where, why. And we don't want to necessarily cloud that with opinions of, you know, X person where we just want to give you the facts. Right. Yeah, no. And that's and that's um, the industry itself. So I have to admit, um, one of my closest friends here in um, well, Northern Virginia is one of the uh, lawyers at the FAA. And she is like, never stop always working. She is one of the hardest working people I know. And so I've had a little bit of a window into that world. And if anything of what your life is like covering sort of the industry and the regulatory piece of it, it's really busy. And it's not something that, like I said, you know, here I am, I'm a consumer. So I think of about commercial aviation, and I think about travel, but all of these other elements and all of these other factors that are coming on every day, um, it can't always be what's happening on Capitol Hill because there's a lot going on in the agency as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's constantly churning. Yeah. Um, you know, it's constantly talking to people who want to, you know, get their bottom line out there as well. Right. And it's almost sometimes just like throwing spaghetti at the wall where it's so much coming at you all at once. Um, where are you going to turn? What's going to stick? What's going to happen? Mm. Um, so you try to, you try to move through it as quickly and as best as you can. And you, you still want to make it noteworthy for the reader. Of course, I'm not going to just, you know, write something to write something um, mm-hmm. at this stage. You want to make it so people really are getting the information that they, that they seek, uh, especially from a team like the transportation team at Politico. Well, and and a lot of the folks for for anybody who's not necessarily familiar with the product that you put out, this is a this is a publication that uh, members of Congress, people that are lobbying the industry, people are that are you know sort of needing to know what's happening in the industry. It's happening, and it's coming through to those people every day in their subscriptions, so that they can then know how to move. So you are literally you know, sort of giving them a window into sort of where they need to be and how it needs to come together, which is important work. I mean, it's really important in DC. It's especially important now because the industry you're covering is in so much agitation and it's keeping you so tremendously busy. Uh, but when you do uh, hang up your uh, your pen and pencil and you get on to your life, I know you have a new dog at home, uh, but what other things are keeping you busy sort of in um, on the weekends? Like, is there, are there fun things you're looking forward to in the coming weeks. Um, I love to ask that because this is the Friday Reporter and we're going to air on a Friday. So let's give people some ideas about what, what they might do over the weekend. Yeah, I'm, I must be really lame, but I, I'm a person who loves to do house projects. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my husband Marcus and I are always just doing things around the house, whether that's organizing something or, you know, even just tidying up the backyard. We've, we, you know, we got a house that was a fixer upper. So mm-hmm. we definitely put a lot of work into it ourselves um, as, mu- as much as we can. And so I'm, I'm a person who likes to do weekend projects like that. I also think in some ways it's a little cathartic, like once in a while. I haven't done this in, in years, by the way. And you would think I would have picked it back up in pandemic, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would take an old piece of furniture and I would like paint it or sand it or something along those lines. Like nice. I, I did like an armoire. I did a stool. Um, and I've done little projects like that around the house, which I just really enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's that's the stuff that I look forward to on the weekends. Um hate cleaning the house but i mean it has to be done because with the dog <laughs> she just sheds all over the place yeah it's, it's 
it's monstrous. She's a yellow um, lab or she's a golden? She's a golden. Uh-huh. And her hair is just everywhere. <laughs> I feel so sad for anyone who sits on, oh. on our couch or anything along those lines. You just but, have you to know, have friends hate- that are dog people. <laughs> That's all. Yes, pretty much everyone. And you quickly learn a lot of who which friends are not dog people yeah um so you're always like oh i thought that person loved dogs and then you have right <laughs> my dog brooklyn come around and then i'm like i actually disagree with my first <laughs> my first assumption of that oh um, they're so good they're so cute and we live in such a dog friendly part of the world is that you know you could pretty much bring your dog just about anywhere in our neighborhood because obviously we live in a close proximity here in the DC area and it's just uh it's a dog friendly part of the world so you almost had to have a dog I know I I couldn't not um and pandemic obviously brought that out with yeah I'm I, I want to have a little something else to care for here mm-hmm. um over this you know year of sorrow oh, no, no <laughs> so question we, so that was the that was the impetus for the dog um so so i'm happy and she's she's the best yeah no i'm so glad for you guys and having a dog is like it's definitely many of us we had a we had a new rescue dog here too so it's uh it's definitely keeping us distracted from all the other things oriana as we get ready to close out our conversation today i hoped you might recommend someone for a future episode of the podcast yeah, I'm going to have to go with uh, my pal over at Breaking Defense, Valerie Encina, who, uh, you know, <laughs> she's the she's the yin to my yang, if you will, when we were back when I was still back on the Air Force beat. Um, but she was she covers a little bit more uh, aerospace industry in the defense world, um, not commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's definitely someone who would be fun to have on this on this podcast and always, always good to catch up with Val. Awesome. Well, I'll tell her that you sent me her way. And I'm so glad for your time today. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thanks for having me again. And that's today's Friday Reporter podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.